was charged alone in my sin. Ashamed to admit that I needed a friend, a prisoner of pain, blinded by sin. Those chains had me bound. But that's when Jesus stepped forth in my place, taking the shame and all my disgrace. He cried, it is finished, as he bowed his face. Then mercy came down. Mercy came down to show me love, covered my sin with Calvary's blood, pleading my case before the judge. When mercy came down, now I am pardoned, free and saved. chapter 19 this morning. Thank you. Luke chapter 19. Of course, today is traditionally known as Palm Sunday. And um, Palm Sunday is kind of a floating holiday. It's never the same. It's always, though, the Sunday before Easter or Resurrection Sunday each year. And uh, pretty much known and get its names from the palms that were used the day that Jesus came in to Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Now remember, 
As Jesus approached Jerusalem riding on the colt of an ass, the Bible says, um, they were expecting a conqueror to come in. And they were looking to Jesus to be that conqueror. And so when he came in, they were expecting the Lord to come in on a white charger. He'd come in as a, a man that would come in defeat, throw the yoke of Rome off their shoulders and bring in a physical kingdom. But the Lord came in riding, as the scripture tells us in Zechariah 9.9, that he would come in uh, as not a, not a conqueror, but a man of peace. The Bible says in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And so they were wanting him to come in on that white charger symbolizing uh, the waging of war, but he came in offering peace and offering his kingdom to come. Um, they would put those palms down and uh, I was doing a little bit of research on the palms, and uh, it was just what was available at that time. And, and palms don't grow that well anymore over there like that. They do have them, but it's out of season. And uh, different traditions, different parts of the world, Belgium, they, they throw flowers uh, in the way. And uh, I was looking in India, they, they throw flowers again in the streets. Children in Finland go door to door, sort of like uh, children will do. Uh, and, and they will get money and candy, and that's their tradition. I, I guess all the kids in Finland like that. But uh, it's just a tradition. And uh, back several years, some of you might have been here, I, I preached a sermon one Sunday on Palm Sunday, and I gave out palms to everybody and let everybody wave the palms at certain parts. And uh, so we don't have any palms for you today, but you can certainly wave your hands, and that would be great, okay? But Palm Sunday is all about those palms that were strewn in the way as the Lord came in that day in Jerusalem, announcing who he was, the Messiah, their Lord and Savior. And so we look at Luke chapter 19 uh, this morning, and we'll begin reading in verse 41, just a few verses. Luke 19, 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belongeth unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee about, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even under the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation, knewest not the time of thy visitation. I want to preach this morning on our Savior's tears on Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Father, help me now as I get into thy word, as we, Lord, read and study thy word today. Lord, make this fresh in our hearts. I know these people, God, and many of them are students of the Bible. And uh, Lord, help it not just to be something that's old hat, something that uh, we've already known and experienced. Make it alive again in our hearts. This, this Palm Sunday, this, this entry of Christ into the city of Jerusalem. Lord, if there's somebody here today that has not let Jesus in their heart, please, Lord, let them let, them let Jesus, let them allow your son to come into their heart and life. And uh, Lord, I know that they'll rejoice from this day forward. 
Now, Lord, help me as I preach. Arrest our hearts and minds today for this little while. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, about 480 B.C., before the Lord came into the holy city of Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had foretold his entry, and that's what we just read about him coming in, offering salvation as a king. But to also turn to Psalm 24, if you would. Psalm 24. Uh, there's another a psalm talking about him coming to be king and ruling and reigning over his people. In Psalm 24 and verse 7, the scripture tells us, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and, lift up, uh, and be ye lifted up, your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, O ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory, he says? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory, Selah. Now think on that, dwell on that. Hey, you know, we know that he came into the city of Jerusalem and uh, announced who he was, and of course we know that Jesus didn't come to set up a physical kingdom as they hoped, but he came to set up a spiritual kingdom. And he, that kingdom's in the heart of every true born-again believer. But listen, he is coming again. And what a day that will be. And there's going to come a day when Jesus will be on his throne. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord indeed. Amen? Amen. And so we look forward to these things. And not just on Resurrection Sunday or Palm Sunday. Uh, really, the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is a celebration of that first Sunday that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we understand that. But uh, the scene before us and in, in the, the setting here in the scripture is, is, is a scene trying to get in our mind's eye of the Lord coming in that holy city five days before the start of Passover. And at that point, all these Jewish families and individuals were all coming back to the holy city and they approximate over 300,000 people were coming back to the city, pilgrims coming back to their roots, if you would. And when they saw the Lord on that, on that donkey, they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. And, and uh, they, they praised him and they honored him and they glorified him and they picked up those, those palms and they strew them in the way and they waved them and they were so excited because they knew what this all meant. Now think of this city all teeming with great crowds and the great jubilation that was coming. They were all hailing him to be Messiah. Just think about it. Hallelujah, the King has come. Glory to God, Messiah is here. Praise God, Jesus is the Lord of the Passover. Hosanna in the highest. That was ringing out all that time. And people were in such jubilant uh, celebration. But just in a few days, after thy triumphal entry, they forgot all about that. They forgot all about what they said and then the Lord looks at them at the scene, knowing what would come. And the Bible says in our text that when he was come now, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Now think about the tears of our Lord. He knows what is happening. I don't care what people are doing right then. They're just having themselves a time. But Jesus knew what it was going to be like. And he knew they would cry out, instead of Hosanna in the highest, they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. How can somebody say such a thing? The Lord knew that was coming. And it broke his heart. And he shed those tears on Palm Sunday. 
Now today I want us to get some lessons, some fresh lessons, I believe, from this text at a very strategic time because, folks, we're getting ready to celebrate what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday next week. And so I believe this is a preview message, if you would, to get our hearts prepared for that special day. And it ought to be a special day. I'm excited about it already. I love coming to the breakfast every year. Everybody's so excited and all the kids are in there. You know, their new little dresses and bonnets, and I, I love all that. I, I love that. I love that we have all that bags and bags and bags of candy, and it's thrown out in the field there after church, and, and they go crazy after it. I love that. I love, I love it like a grandpa loves to watch it, and a father loves to watch it. I love that. I love when the choir seems to sing. They always sing good, but on Easter Sunday, they always seem to sound better, and the specials sound wonderful. We laugh about Tom. You got your doubts? Okay. <laughs> it just seems like Resurrection Sunday is just, a, it's just a wonderful day in the house of God. But let's not bypass this day. This is the day of the Lord. This is the Lord's day too. This Sunday we remember that he rose again from the grave. Hallelujah. So I just want to take a look at some things that we can learn from this text this morning. First of all, Jesus sees in Luke 19.41 beyond the pleasantries. There's always pleasantries. There's always decorum, you know, you understand. And the Lord is looking beyond this in, in Luke 19.41. And, and here's what it says. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. That word beheld is an interesting word in your Bible. It means to know. I mean really know. It means to look beyond, to perceive, to have full understanding. Has the ideas of the look hard upon, not just a glance, but to really take note of. And it says that when he was come near, he beheld the city. It means to perceive with one's eyes. It means to, buy, to take in the senses. It means to discover something new. It's an idea of discernment. It means to turn the eyes, the mind, to the attention of something. Don't just read a little word in your Bible that says behold and just assume, oh, that's not a big word. It's a big word. It's trying to point our attention to something. It means to inspect fully, to examine, to fully comprehend. It's trying to grab us and say, hey, look at this. That's what it's trying to say to us. And the Bible says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over. Jesus didn't just take a glance. He looked at those people. He saw them in their in all their celebration. He saw them as families. He saw them as individuals. He saw them expecting a king riding in on a white charger. And he understood that what it would be like in just a few days. And he wept over it. He wept over their hearts being so calloused. He wept over their hearts being so cold. And today I wonder if the Lord does not weep when he comes to the average church service in the average Bible-believing church. And does the Lord still have a sadness about him? Because he sees the carnality, and he sees the compromise, and he sees that one day we're one way, and another day we're another. I mean, we're all spiritual on Sunday, but how do we live Monday through Saturday? And so this is important for us to see. The Lord looks beyond the pleasantries. Jesus, our Lord, came into that city, that city of Jerusalem, and let me tell you what, she was gleaming brightly. What a beautiful city she was with her glory and her beauty and her pageantry, her ceremony. And I mean, it must have been breathtaking. All those people, just think of, of, of three, over 300,000 people 
all in jubilation, all excited, all in pageantry. And here comes the Lord, and I mean, it's, it's worthy of that celebration. But we don't see the Lord shedding tears of joy. We see him brokenhearted, for he knew what would come. The Lord begins to weep, because although the city was physically beautiful, striking, no doubt, he saw the people that were fickle and shallow. One moment, Hosea, in a few days, crucify him. That's what the Lord saw. They cried Hosanna and hallelujah on Palm Sunday. Just a few hours, if you would, they would shout his demise. Hearts were going to be hard and unchanging. And I think of today, the same is true among the bride of Christ at times. We often uh, look like we're celebrating, look like we're in all all the way, but God knows there's a different way. Ask yourself this morning, of all God's done for you, ask yourself, this, where's your heart at with the Lord? I mean, are you really, is, is everything all right with you and the Lord? Hey, just like I preached some messages before the revival to get our hearts ready for the revival, this is kind of a pre-message, get our hearts ready. Hey, I want next week to just be a wonderful celebration, but we don't have to wait till next week. It could happen today in our hearts. If our hearts still, after, after revival preaching, if we're still not heart, our hearts are not right with God, our lives are not in step with God, don't we see today that we still are grieving the Lord? Maybe the Lord would look upon us and weep, not tears of joy, but of sadness, because he sees his people in a different light. We cannot get past these verses today without seeing the church as she truly is. There's an outward and the Lord sees past all the pleasantries. And all the, hey, how you doing today, brother? And all the, boy, that was a good song. Because, you know, if we're not careful, that'll all be about us. And boy, what a song service. And, what a, and, and we enjoyed ourselves. And we pray that we'll get a blessing today. This is supposed to be blessing the Lord. The worship songs we can enter into. And we can gain from them and thank God for them. But the, the reason why the choir sings and the reason why we sing the hymns and the reason why we have these services is that we honor and worship the Lord our God. But you know, we can do it here, but the Lord knows where we're at here. And what we intend to be when we go out this door, not too much different than when we came in. That has to change, and God wants to see those changes in his people. Oh, the Bible says... In Revelation 2.2 about the church, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and, has, uh, bear them that are, and canst bear them that are evil and thou hast tried them that say they are the apostles and are not and have found them liars. And he says in, in Revelation 2 and verse 9, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. And in chapter 2 verse 19, I know thy works and thy charity, thy service and faith, thy patience. He says in Revelation 3 and verse 1, on the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know thy works. Are we getting the picture here? The Lord keeps saying to the churches, I know you. I know your works. I know what you've arrived at. Oh, don't we understand today God knows us on an intimate level. He wants to get back to, past all the pleasantries. He wants to get right down where we're at. 
He says in Revelation 2 and verse 3, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before the Lord. And that word perfect doesn't mean without sin. We can never be without sin in this fleshly body. It means maturity. It means growing up. It means becoming a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 3, verse 15 to the church, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. And I worked, uh, 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 would thou work cold, cold or hot? He says. In other words, they were lukewarm. And the Lord, he knows when we're on fire, and he knows when we're not. He knows when we're, we're, we're excited, and he knows when it's just pleasantries. And most of the time, we'd have to admit we're lukewarm. I know, you know, in everything about my life, I, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm there. If I'm buying something, I, I don't buy the most expensive, or I don't buy the worst. I'm kind of I'm middle ground. I'll take the middle paint. I'll take the middle, I'll take the middle sandwich. I'm always like, okay, I don't have to have the best. I don't have to, but and that, that's kind of, we're not careful. That's how we'll do with God. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not way over here, and I'm not down here. I'm kind of, and we're comfortable with that. But God says that's lukewarm. I was thinking as the choir was singing, some of you folks, I'll just give you some advice here. In the wintertime, people will say, you know, it's too hot. So we always say, well, if you're sitting under a vent there, don't sit in the middle aisle because that's where it's hot because it blows in the middle aisle. You might want to get to the cooler side of the church where it don't bother you. Now, summer's coming, and some of you are going to say, man, it's hot in here. And I'm going to say, now, where you want to sit is over here because the air is going to blow in the middle and you'll be the most comfortable. And if you're cold-natured, then sit over on this side. See, just trying to help you. But I noticed this morning as the choir was singing, some of you got stuck between Brother Dave and Brother Chuck. And they're amen and hallelujah, waving their hands, and some of you are looking kind of uncomfortable. I, then I would, I would sit next to somebody that's not quite like that. Don't say, well, I don't know why they do that in church. Just go sit where a bunch of deadheads are. Be fine. <laughs> go to the back, back there, that crowd. Go sit back there. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. I'm just trying to give you some advice. Listen, we can come in here, and we can intend to be middle of the ground, middle of the road. I'm not budging. And we think that lukewarm is okay. Middle of the road's okay. It's not with God. And this is what was going on among his people. And he, it, he wept because they had all the pageantry. They had all the praise. They had the palms waving. And everybody said, isn't this wonderful? But the Lord knew their hearts and where they were going in a couple days. So where's your heart today? God knows the facade that hides our inward sin. He knows the smile that hides our inward tears. He knows the cover-up. He knows the phoniness. He knows the acting. He knows the hypocrisy of all of us. So we see that he gets past the pleasantry. Second of all, I want you to see that he cares about our pain. Look at Luke 19. Look at verse 41 again. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. And again, look at the city. I mean, it's in jubilation. And he wept over it. He beheld the city. Jesus was weeping over their sin. Now think about man. Think about man in the garden this morning. Way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. In verse 9 it says, And the Lord called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God knew where he was. God wanted him to acknowledge where he was. In verse 10, And said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, Why are you afraid of me? And you know, things haven't changed too much. When God's people are in disobedience and their hearts are not right, you watch it. We will try to hide from God. How do you hide from God? We, have a, we can announce a revival meeting coming and a good preacher and a singer and all that. I, I, tent meeting's coming, boy, it's going to be great. And there'll be some that will not show a night to those services or maybe just give a kind of a pleasantry visit. You know why? Because we don't want to change. Because we, 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 we realize what can happen. I'm always amazed when the Lord would preach Throngs of people would come and hear him preach, and they'd say, boy, never a man spake like this man. But another guy would just like, uh, no big deal. How can that happen? How can somebody just be so excited about the things of God and worship God and have personal revival? And then over here, there's a guy that says, man, I wish the pastor would preach a message every once in a while that would help me. How does that happen? How can some come into the house of God and say, Man, what a service. Boy, I haven't been in something like that in years. Why, somebody else goes out and says, Oh, man, I could hardly keep my eyes open today. How does that happen? It's our hearts. Are we ready to receive? And pastors got to do all kinds of theatrics to keep people going, you know. I was, when we were talking about the, the palm trees, of the palms this morning, I was going to just gonna wave these flowers and say, woo hoo 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 And why was I thinking about doing that? To wake you, some of you up. Right? Because over in Zealand, they throw it on the ground like that, you know, flowers. I hope that doesn't trip me and I regret that I did that. <laughs> preach on this side today but why because it's like we get past the pleasantries and we get down to where God wants us to be and he wants to show us something he cares if the Lord didn't care that day he would have not shed those tears I mean the Lord they were seeing one thing and he was seeing a totally different thing and it broke his heart the things that we look at the books that we read, the shows that we watch, the conversations that we have, the situations we allow in our lives, they concern God. It's not just what goes on in a service on Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. God cares about us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Go to Mark chapter 7 with me quickly. Mark chapter 7. And look what it says here. In verse 20. And he said, Mark 7, 20, That which cometh out of man, that defileth man. 
And from within, out of the heart of man, proceeded evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Watch verse 23. All these evil things come from within that defileth a man. It's not the outward. It's never been the outward. It's always been the inward. Where are we with God? The words we say, the friends we keep, the lust we tolerate, the lies we tell, the choices we make, that's what God is watching. They all add up, and they all grieve God. And they wanted him to reign, but they wanted him to reign like they wanted him to reign. So they could be the head, not the tail. Well, God said they would be. But see, they didn't want anything that went along with that. And I want us to understand today that the Lord wants to reign supreme in your life and my life. And he wants us to have true jubilation and joy in our life because we're right with him. And he wants it to go past a morning Sunday service. He wants it to be in our life every day that we're worshiping and serving and we're, we're you know, that we're just full of the Lord's goodness. So he sees behind the, beyond the pleasantries. He sees beyond our pain. He sees our full potential. In Luke 19.42 it says, saying, if thou hadst, he's speaking to Israel, known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belongeth unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. The Lord saying to his people, if you just knew, if you just knew, Jerusalem would have been a city with abundant joy more than just for a few hours. Instead, it became a city of tumult, insurrection, grief, tears, and she had so much potential. The Lord looks at our lives and he sees within us so much potential. What parent is there not that looks at their children and sees all oh, the potential and, and in our church kids and say, all oh, the potential that's there. And then we're grieved when they, they don't come to any measure of the potential. What they could do. I've seen people that have been called to God through the years and they haven't surrendered to the Lord's will. And years later, how they grieve that they didn't do what God told them to do. And all that lost potential. God wants this. He sees it in churches. Oh, Parkview, what you could be for me. What this assembly could be for me. Because we're just, we're okay with the pleasantries for a Sunday. And then we want to move on to the average next Sunday and the average life that we've developed. And there's no depth to it. There's no real joy in it. Don't you want to see God do some miracles? You want to see God do some things that are just fantastic, that are just awesome? Don't you want your kids to see that kind of thing? I, I do. And so the Lord was brokenhearted as he looks at these people that he loved and cared so dearly for. Someone says, well, preacher, I would like to, you know, I've not measured up to what I could be. And you feel like it's over. Friend, it's never over. And you could come to what God wants you to be, and God will forgive, and God will restore. He's aware of all of our full potential. He wants us to be 
with him instead of against him. You say, but preacher, I've messed up, and I've blown it here, and I've blown it there. Okay, admit it. Confess your sin to God. He'll give mercy. Then get up and go with God. So I could never be an outspoken person. I could never be like those guys that just praise the Lord. No, because you don't see yourself as being that. Quite frankly, many don't want to be that. Hey, who wants to be a religious fanatic like Chuck Smith? Right? And every once in a while, some of you give a grunt out. Not too often, but some. And some do it differently. Some of you, you know, you shed the tears. I like that too. But I'll be honest with you, that bothers me more than the... Because when people do that, then I do that, and I can't contain myself. That we sang this morning, I couldn't sing three of the verses. I tried, I couldn't sing them. Because it got a hold of me. So you that cry, cry, but I don't want to look at you. I won't look at you. But how come we don't see more tears in church anymore? How come we don't have, how come we don't have a dozen or more people, hey, amen, that's right, praise the Lord. How come we don't have that? Why are there more that say, I don't know why he's got to be so loud. <laughs> why does that have to be so loud? But anyway, we move on with that one. I'm just kidding. I don't know who that was. Folks, we have a great future with our God. And I'll tell you what a great future is better. It's better than a poor past. And that's what we always have opportunity for. The potential that's in this room this morning. If we would just get right, do right, be right with our God. Think about this. Poor past and a great future. Think about that male factor that was on Calvary that day with our Lord. And he was, he was being punished for his crime. But late in the moment, he starts realizing that he was a sinner, and he starts recognizing who Jesus is. And in those late moments before he died, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other guy said, Oh, if you be the Son of God, come now from that cross. Take us down here with you. Two totally different spirits. But that male factor, you know what happened to him? He had a change of heart. And it made a difference in his eternity. You see, we're looking at a, a, a poor past, but a great future. Think about Mary Magdalene and the woman that have, and our Bible talks about of ill repute. And she becomes a woman of great faith and virtue. Probably one of the great disciples of them all. How'd that happen? She had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Think of a guy named Saul who became Paul. And God saved Saul out of a life of sin and shame. And here's what Paul says later. You know, here's, he didn't brag and say, oh boy, look at me. He said, chief of sinners. That's me. Never got over the fact that God saved his soul. See, a great future with God always is better than a poor past. Think of John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace in your songbook. A wicked, notorious sinner. A womanizer, a drunkard, a slave trader. Oh, and he got saved in a bad storm at sea. And he'd been in many storms. That particular one, he was scared to death. Is at that time he remembered what his mother had told him as a boy. And he got gloriously saved. What a life. You see, because a great future 
is always better than a poor past. Think of some of you carrying your Schofield Bible this morning. Mr. C.I. Schofield was a skid row bum lying in his own vomit in the city streets. One day he heard the preaching of the gospel on the street. And he got saved and he became a medical doctor. Imagine that. Skid row bum, medical doctor. But more than that, he became the writer of the Schofield Notes. Not the Bible, but the notes in your Bible. And he was nothing but a skid row bum laying in the street. Because you know why? A great future always succeeds a poor past. That's what God has for you and I. Some of you sitting here today, and here's the thing that grieves my heart. Here's the thing that grieves me. The Lord saw the celebration and the listening and the praise, but the Lord knew what it was going to be like in a few days. And we could be in services like this, and God will get a hold of one person's attention. God will get another person's heart. But then there will be some of you that you're going to just leave here like you always leave here. You're going to come in here, and you're just going to endure the service. Why? Tell me Why? You said, well, I messed up, and I'm not what I intend to be. And, I, and fine, we've all messed up. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would be here. But what do we need? We need to understand that God's got a bright future if we get with a program. But we don't want to get with a program. We just want pleasantries. We want to know he cares for us when we have emergencies come in our life. Everybody gets spiritual when there are emergencies. When the babies are sick and you lost your job, when dad's getting ready to die, mother's got cancer, oh, then we start getting spiritual. God wants us to be spiritual all the time. Whether we have ups and downs and valleys and, you know, crisis. Think of a guy named Don Case that all of you know. Don's that old guy that comes in here every once in a while with his accordion and his wife. And he's up here, and what a joyous man he is. He'll bless your heart. You can't help but be a smile on your face when Don Case is around. He'll play those old songs, and he'll sing them for the glory of God. But Don Case at one time was a prodigal son. His daddy was a preacher, and Don didn't follow the Lord, and he became a drinker and a drug addict, and he became a misfit in this world, and he'll tell you the testimony. He ends up in St. Mary's Hospital years ago in the psycho ward because he tried to commit suicide because he couldn't get over his, his past. But thank God that night he called on Jesus Christ, and the Lord saved him so. And now that old guy goes around with that and sings for God and praises God. He wasn't there, but he got over the past. Because he said, man, there's a future with God. I'll tell you a better one than that. How about a sinner like me? How about a sinner like you? That finally got full of ourselves and said, I'm not, I don't want to live like this anymore. I realized the direction I was heading. I said, God, forgive me. Save my soul. Get me out of this mess. Change my life. And he did it. He did it. So... Today, on Palm Sunday, we think about that day that he came into the city, and boy, what celebration, what joy, what hallelujahs, what, what uh, hosannas in the highest. But the Lord knew their heart, and it caused him to weep. Today, where are you at with God? You know, the city of Jerusalem, it means city of peace. That's what the Lord wants to bring in all ours. And there's so much unrest. See, 
The Lord knew where their hearts were, and the Lord knew what was going to happen to that city. And he tells them in this chapter we just read, you might have missed it, but he gives the prophecy of what was going to happen to the city, the destruction of Jerusalem. See, that day they were all excited about the beauty of Jerusalem and the beauty of their fair city and, and the Lord coming in and the pageantry and the praise. But the Lord says to them, For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee about and keep thee on every side, and this shall lay even under the ground, and the children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. 70 A.D., Titus came in, the conqueror, and he totally annihilated that city. It took him a while, because there were many a, a, many a Israelite that took a stand. But they could not, the zealots could not keep the Roman army from destroying that place. And the siege became, began. And after it was all over with, they just had a few leftover zealots hiding in trenches and hiding in the, in the water system. And they went after them and got them out. And they totally annihilated that city. Josephus, a historian at that time, who was injured during that siege, gives the account of what it was like to see the destruction of the temple in the city and how those people were crushed. And here's the truth. It didn't have to be that way. He was telling them, you're saying one thing, but you're living another way, and it doesn't have to be like this. So today on this Palm Sunday, I'm trying to say, hey, it doesn't have to continue as it is. If your heart is cold and you're not on fire for God and things are not as you want them to be, it doesn't have to stay that way. The Lord's got something much more. So many today are missing the day when Jesus passes by. In John 9 and verse 1, And Jesus passed by and saw a man who was blind from his birth. What a great miracle that that man was healed from his blindness. But you know, there's so many people that while all that's going on, they're in the same crowd, and Jesus passed by, and they never recognize him. As I said, we can be in a service that God is really moving in, and some people are praising God, and some people are coming to the altar weeping, and some people are making things right, and families are falling on the altar and saying, we're going to be a better family for Jesus. And, and another person comes up and says, God, I've not been anything I'm supposed to be. Please forgive me. And they go back to their seat, glad they've met with God. Why others always... Every week, all year long, for years and years and years, will not budge and will not come to an altar. Years ago, I was talking to a fellow, and he said to me, I said, how come you never come? I said, how come you never come to the altar? I asked him as a pastor. He said, because I don't need to. He said, I've never needed to. I said, Folks, that can't be. Oh, that we would shed some tears again. Oh, that I would be at the altar occasionally. Are we that good or are we that bad? God just wants us to come to ourselves and get over ourselves and realize that it's supposed to be about praising him anyway, not what I get out of the service. Don't let another Palm Sunday come and go without you realizing your need. And I'll just give you this, and I'm done. I'm not preaching these points. Reach out in faith and receive your king. Jesus came into that city that day in all his glory.
but he came in pronouncing that he was the king of peace and not what the people wanted him to be. And God wants to bring peace to your troubled heart because you know why? He is the king of glory. Open your gates. Oh, Jerusalem, open your gates. Receive your king. Hey, Christian, open your heart. Receive your king. Let this Palm Sunday mean something to you. He came over 2,000 years ago to fulfill the scripture. He came and lives a sinless life among those that saw him. He came to do the Father's will. He came to die because sinners needed a Savior. He came to be the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He came to pay my sin debt and yours. He came to shed his blood to cleanse all sin. He came to take hell away from all those that would believe on him. And three days later, he rose victorious over the grave. That's why he came. And that's wonderful. And we can wave our palms and lift our hands and say, glory to God. But what are you going to do when you leave here? I think God wants us to have that same emotion and excitement and thrill and peace walking out of those doors today, tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And let the world see some real Christianity. The Lord shed tears here. I want to ask you this question and I'm done. A life lived with really no meaning can be turned to a life lived with true meaning and purpose. It's just, listen, it's just a few steps away. It's just a, it's just a decision away in the heart. Amen. And we can leave and say, well, that was, a, that was an interesting sermon. That was a good service this morning. Choir sang good. Preacher got a little excited. That was great. What's greater is if you do business with God. Let's bow our heads if we would. Every head bowed this morning. Brother Tom's coming. We talk about Palm Sunday, but it's really not about Palm Sunday. It's about the Savior's tears. It's about the Lord weeping over a people that he loves so much, but he, did, he couldn't get them to realize their condition. Oh, where are you at with God today? Uh, be moved by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I, I know that there's got to be a few in here today that don't even know Jesus, your son, and I know that grieves you. But you love sinners. That's why you came and died. Please, if there be one boy or girl, one woman or man that has not yet been born again, has not been saved, I pray that, Holy Ghost, you do a work in their heart right now to draw them to Jesus. And I pray today they would come and we could show them out of the Bible how they could be saved. I pray for the Christian who is saved, but Lord, they're just so cold and so hard-hearted and so carnal and so going through the motions and the pleasantries that they don't see that they're missing. They're missing the celebration that can be in their heart, in their mind today. Give them a, give them a desire for it. Give them an unction from the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.